0: All right, KISS Army, you wanted the best, you got the best. Now close your eyes, you're
1: about to be podcast And with that familiar sound, we welcome you to another episode of Your Podcast. I'm Ken Mills. And I'm Chris Senzak. And we welcome you to another fine edition, talking about the hottest band in the land, KISS. Uh, Chris, thanks for stepping in the host chair today with me. Um, So we got to hear a 30-second snippet of the new song, Hell or Hallelujah. Of course, it's been yanked down. Mm -hmm. What did you think of the song?
2: Well, I mean, as much as you can get out of 30 seconds, I liked what I heard. Um, And I've, I've purposely not... Commented like publicly on boards or anything about what I think of it. But one thing I've noticed is I hear a lot of different opinions about how it. Some people think it sounds asylumish or animalizes, or some people said revenge. In my opinion, I think it almost has a Motorhead feel to it. It kind of reminded me of a, like an
1: old Motorhead tune from the '80s. Well, that's pretty cool. Yeah, uh, it, it had a only one way to rock kind of vibe to me.
2: Yeah, I've heard that too. Like somebody said that they heard a Sammy Hagar sound in it. Um, Obviously, we're going to know more once we hear it. I, I'm I'm interested to hear what the uh, chorus sounds like in full because we only got that little snippet of it.
1: Right, and of course, it was taken down.
2: Yeah, it is. But I think if you do some creative searching on YouTube, you can find it.
1: Oh, always. But what do you think of the fact that it was taken down?
2: I got to give them credit because I mean they've they've done good at keeping it under wraps so far. And I think I'm trying to remember back to oh, was it 09 when Sonic Boom came out? Mm-hmm. Um. I'm trying, I think they were pretty good at keeping modern day Delilah under wraps until they premiered it. But it seemed like once that came out, that's when the leaks started coming out. So I'm interested to see how quickly after you know we hit the release date of the second or third, depending on who you believe, what how quickly the uh, the whole album is going to leak. And then I then I have to fight every bit of temptation I I can to uh, not check it out early.
1: Right. Right. Of course, by the time you folks ha- are listening to this, you probably have already purchased the MP3 or heard it, and and in it's full. So hopefully, you'll enjoy it. I always look forward to new music from Kiss, as I know Chris does as well.
2: Sure, yeah, I'm I'm really excited. I want to hear what uh, I want to hear what they can pull off this time, and I'm interested in Paul's vocals and seeing how they come out. And uh, I don't know if you read it yet today, but just today, the day that we're recording this. Uh, I read part of an interview that got put up with Gene. It may have been from the uh, Monster Magazine special, I'm not sure. But he uh, refers to the fact that this may be it for them, like uh, saying how long is it going to take before we, after this tour before we decide to let some younger guys carry the crown. So I'm wondering if the 2.0 thing is going to happen.
1: Well, do you think that that uh, is just hype, or do you think we're really getting to that time?
2: I think we're actually getting to that time. I mean, you can't – You the, I mean, I think – The guys are not getting any younger, and they're they're at the age now where to to pull off that kind of a show, with all of the costuming and stuff, and then obviously with the concerns over Paul's voice over the last few years, I think that we have to kind of take it seriously now. Actually, now if they came out and said this is the last thing we do, I would probably believe them. Um, But yeah, you can't really deny that it's getting a bit. They're getting a bit long in the tooth for it. And as much as those of us that are podcast fans and listeners. Would like to see an unmasked kiss? Just go ahead and come up in uh, street clothes on stage and do it revenge style. I don't think that Gene and Paul see that as anything that they could really hold on to.
1: And more importantly, the the public does uh, public public and mass, there's, yeah, there's which is no, a big word like gymnasium. Yeah, uh, <laughs> wouldn't really see it. So you know.
2: Yeah, I'd love to see them at least do like a club tour or something like that. But, um, yeah, I, th- I think we're getting near the end, and I think we all need to enjoy this while we have a chance to.
1: Well, that's that's a small word, unlike gymnasium. Uh, so <laughs> let's cue a podcast bumper and sound effect here. Hey, what's up? This is John Humphrey from Seether and wishing all the guys at Podcast a very happy fifth anniversary. All right. Now Chris, you've got something ex- kind of exciting coming up. You've done not one but two of these already, Vinny Vincent specials, and you are coming up with a third one. Can you give us a little bit of detail and uh tell folks when we can look forward to it?
2: Sure, let me um let me go back real quick and fill everyone in who who hasn't heard the first two because there are people that are just still coming on board. The, just the other day on the podcast uh Facebook page I referred uh a new listener to the 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 first two so about a year ago a little over a year ago i was about 5 episodes into my show and before i started the podcast the Despel geek podcast i um i was initially writing a book on vinnie vincent um, because i'd come into contact with some people that had a lot of you know inside information about him and plus before the whole arrest thing there was a lot of mystery about what's he been up to where is he living is he dead even there was all kinds of rumors going around you know cuz he had kind of become a recluse and, uh, I, anyway, some things came up, and plus, you know, barring legal issues and stuff, it just became not, it just became not a wise move to do a book on him, and so I bowed out of doing the book, but I also had made all these contacts, and had some of these interviews that I had recorded, and I was like, well, maybe I could do a podcast, and just do it for, not just for Vinny, but for Kiss and all kinds of bands, and, uh, that would be fun to do, and plus I wouldn't have to transcribe, and blah, blah, blah. So... About five episodes in, I released um, the two. Well, those two, five and six, basically were the two Vinnie Vincent episodes, and those featured um, conversations with a number of people that those these those were interviews I'd collected over a long period of time, um, such as Rick Fox, who had worked um, with Ingvay and uh, Steeler, but he like goes back. He has a lot of kiss connections to the past. Um, also, uh, Alex Michael from Shameless, who dealt with Vinny during the European conventions in the 90s when things went horribly awry. If you read the reports, so if you go to the website, you'll find that. And anyway, it was just basically two episodes filled with interviews of these these people that were maybe not really famous on their own, but it was a good collection of people that had been on the inside and worked with them because Vinny was kind of an enigma. And the timing couldn't have been better, I guess, publicity-wise for m- me coming out with those episodes because... Those came out, and it was purely coincidental, right around the time that Vinny got arrested for the domestic violence um, incident last year. And of course, numbers just exploded. It we, you know, it's it's still those two are still two of the top um, downloaded episodes that we've had. And I collected a couple interviews that are pretty good on their own. But I was just like, well, do we really want to do another Vinny episode unless I get a knockout interview to kind of kick off a new series of Vinny shows? I'm not going to do it. So I just collected stuff. I got in contact with someone who's worked with Vinny three different times. He is well-known in the Vinny, and sort of in the Kiss world, and I'm not going to spoil the surprise yet, but he's worked, oh, with, he's come worked on. with He's worked with Vinny three separate times because the episode will come out next week when you're hearing this. It should come out right around the 18th of July. The episode will have, feature me and Aaron doing commentary on some stuff about Vinny, including the recent court case decision that came out the last couple of weeks about the royalties with Gene and Paul, and then also... A very in-depth conversation with this person and this guy um he had he had a lot to get off his chest he was in a mood to talk about his experiences with Vinny. and i will go ahead and say not everything was positive but that's kind of par for the course with Vinny vincent but uh we're excited for everyone to hear it because i think it'll it'll be really get kind of get some interest going in him again and also we have um two more Vinny episodes that will come out um one per month each month in august and september with other people that have worked with him so we're going to kind of do three months of, of Vinny and July is really kind of a Kissmas in July thing on Decibel Geek we're going to be doing um, Kiss theme shows and stuff like that and uh, by the time you hear this we will have already done an episode with Lydia Chris, and we hope you enjoy that if you haven't heard that go back and check it out
1: well give Lydia our best we love her she's a big f- f- friend of the podcast and uh we look forward to V3. I can't say this much cuz I know who the, the secret guest is that you're yeah. going to have on. It's it's someone that definitely has worked with Vinny and definitely has opinions. So. Yeah. He
2: was uh, he was in a very talkative mood the night that I that I talked to him.
1: Tonight you're giving us a really nice interview with Adam Mitchell and yeah. it's the what? 30th anniversary of Creatures. Yeah,
2: but- yeah, this is the 30th, uh, it's been 30 years since Creatures of the Night came out. And, um, obviously with my Vinny interest and, uh, Kiss interest, this is one of my favorite albums of all time. And, uh, mine, Podkiss, mine, mine as well. And podcasts helped get me into the whole podcasting game and recently made contact with Adam Mitchell, who, um, is a, he's a well-known songwriter and he's worked with Kiss a number of times. And he kind of got his start with Kiss on Creatures of the Night. Got in touch with him and just said, "Hey man, you know I help out with this uh, with this podcast sometimes called Podkiss, and they're the best kiss podcasts around. And you know we'd love to have you on the show for the uh, to celebrate the 30th anniversary of Creatures. And uh, I kind of wanted to do this interview as a kind of a gift back to Podkiss for getting me in, into the whole thing.
1: Well, thank you. And of course, the Decibel Geek is Podkiss approved.
2: Oh yeah, and we very much appreciate that."
1: Well, good to hear. So Adam Mitchell, he's hes definitely someone who's worked with Kiss and had a very long uh, career with him. And he started out, what, during the Killers?
2: Yeah, I think it was around – Michael James Jackson, who produced the uh, Creatures and the Lick It Up albums, is who kind of brought him into the whole picture. Um, he put put Adam – yeah, I guess it was around Killers. He put Adam together, I think, with Gene initially and then Paul, or it could have been backwards, I'm not sure, but he – the. the I think Gene and Paul were still having some issues with songwriting material because after the whole thing with Unmasked and then The Elder, I think they were just kind of at of. They were in kind of a free fall creatively, and they just they, they were kind to, of
1: looking for an anchor.
2: Yeah, they needed some fresh opinions to come in, and uh, I, Adam really brought a lot to the table. I mean, he he had some very good contributions to the band.
1: Isn't it weird that I'm such a Kiss nerd that I started to say the Killers era? <laughs> it was live. one. Album really an EP if you think about it with the greatest hits attached.
2: Yeah. Is that really an error? In our world it is.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I guess. Everything is that, I mean, if the elder can be an error, you know, or an error, one or the other, you know.
2: Yeah, depending on who you talk about.
1: But, uh, (laughs) well, we celebrate all errors and all errors on the podcast. So let's listen to part one of this interview. The first part is on phone. And then yeah. you guys had some famous technical difficulties, well, which gets us all at some point.
2: Yeah, let me explain. What happened was we, the day that I called Adam, he was in California at his house, and there were some massive thunderstorms going on. So things just we got through about, I think it was about 15 good minutes of conversation. Right as we're getting into Eric Carr's drum sound on the album, things just go haywire with the sound, and things got really kind of garbled. And then... Uh, We had to do it again. We had to start over again a couple of days later. So you will notice a a bit of a difference in sound quality. And I also want to thank Adam for coming on because it was a very difficult time he was going through at the time that we recorded this conversation because he had recently um, been through the funeral of his father who had passed away at the time. And uh, while we're on that subject, we'd like to um, dedicate this episode and this conversation with Adam in his father's honor.
1: Very good, very good. Uh, This is one heck of an interview. Here's part one. We'll catch you on the other side when the, the storm made the phones give out, and we'll come back and do a little intro to that. So take it away.
3: So tell me a little bit about these podcasts and so on. And what it is
2: you do? Well, um, what this one will be for, I um, I help contribute to one called the Pod Kiss. It's a Kiss podcast run by Kiss fans, and um, I'm I, I'm a helper on this show. Um, I run my own show called uh, Decibel Geek, and it's about rock and heavy metal in general. Um, right. But uh, I c- contribute to this one for Kiss, and th- this one's uh, it's become it's probably the the most well known Kiss. Uh, devoted one we've, we've had Ace we've had Tommy Thayer we've had Eric Singer on the show
3: a- yeah, I know we, I don't know Ace really I met him once but I, Tommy and Eric are both very good friends of mine especially oh, Tommy oh cool um, yeah.
2: and we wanted to have you on because we're going to do since this is uh, this is the, this year is the 30th anniversary of Creatures of the Night obviously I uh, thought I would b- yeah have, yeah, thought yeah it would be great to have believe you have, yeah, I, it's
3: impossible to believe
2: yeah I was going to get your thoughts on it, is it can you is it a, is it a, can you believe it's been 30 years already since, no, since you did that? I, dude,
3: I feel, still feel like I'm 17, you know. <laughs> no, no, I can't. Uh, but, you know, the older you get, the quicker time goes, and that certainly is true. No, it's impossible to believe.
0: Yeah. still so one
3: of my absolutely favorite Kiss records, i got to say. Yeah. I've you know, regarded whether or not I, and fans tell me that all the time, you know. Yeah, it's it's. I wrote on a lot of other Kiss records, but I have a particular... I mean, it was, wasn't was the actual first stuff that I'd done with Kiss, because Paul and I had written two songs for Kiss Killers before that.
2: Yeah, I was going to ask you, because um, I read a quote by Bob Kulick stating, you know, because he went in and he helped on some of the sessions for both of those, and he said that it, at the time, it was almost like, it was almost confusing what project was what at the time, because they, right. they
3: were kind of doing both. Um, I wouldn't swear to this, but as I recall, there were certainly See, Kiss Killers was done for the for the European market. Mm-hmm. That's why the cover is. I mean, it's no certainly not one of the all time great <laughs> Kiss. Killers. It's kind of you know way more European, way more eighties, way more trendy, way way more new wave.
0: Yeah. yeah.
3: And um, it was done for the European market, and I guess eventually they put it out here. They must have done, but it, but really at the same time, uh, they were doing uh, what became Creatures of the Night. Yeah
2: and well and let's go back to I know you introduced Vinny to Gene but how did you meet Jean in the first place
3: the story really of how I got involved in KISS which really was quite unlikely I had met I'd been uh, when I'm still living in Canada 1970 thereabouts um I had been in a big Canadian band of poppers. We'd played Monterey pop. We'd played we'd uh, we'd played a good reputation. It was a great band. Mm-hmm. And I left that band and started producing records and I'd produced a band up in Canada called Flood. We'd been quite successful, F L U D D. And they were on A and M Records in Canada and a guy who was working for AM A and M in the uh, States came up to Canada, I guess, to visit their manager. His name was Michael James Jackson. And I bumped into him in Flood's manager's office, just one of those accidents that will often determine the shape of a career. Mm-hmm. And Michael and I stayed very good friends, and uh, when I moved to L.A. in 76, and I, I got in a solo deal on Warner Brothers Records, and I was in Sunset Sound recording my record, Michael same guy, Michael Jackson, happened to be in the very next room at Sunset Sound recording another band, so we we met again, mm-hmm. and in the meantime, I had written a lot of songs for that first solo record of mine, uh, a lot of the songs that I had written on that first solo record, he really liked, and they were getting covered by a lot of other artists, like Olivia Newton-John, and just, di- just different artists at the time, so that was about 77, so 79 or 80, when Michael was now producing Kiss... And they were looking around for other writers to write with because The Elder had been not what they wanted. You know, it was a concept record and so on. Right. So they wanted to get back to writing really good stuff. Michael, I wrote, I didn't write just songs, but Michael believed in my writing just as a songwriter so much that he put me together with Gene.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: And Gene came over to my house because uh, I was doing quite well. I, Time and I, I had a house up in uh, the Hollywood Hills, and Gene came over one day, and we wrote a couple of songs, and, uh, neither of which um, were recorded on the Kiss record. But uh, and in fact, if I know Gene, I'm sure he still has the original tapes. <laughs>
2: yeah, so I'm, I'm quite sure he sure does. He does and I, they'll probably come out because uh, Gene never
3: throws anything away. Yeah. Um, but Gene and I had written a couple of songs, and uh, and he really liked them. And then Paul asked him. Uh, I hadn't met Paul yet at this point, but at some point after Gene and i written, Paul said to him in so many words, what was it like writing with this new guy, Adam Mitchell, and Gene said, oh, it was really good, you know, it was great. So Paul came over, and we started to write, and, and Paul and I immediately hit it off both as friends and as writers, mm-hmm. and um, that's how the whole thing got started.
2: Okay, and do you, because Michael James Jackson, his, uh, didn't exactly have like a real hard rock you know, resume. No, nor
3: did I, but look what happened.
2: Yeah, it's, it's just interesting. Do you know why they decided to choose him to work on that album?
3: No, it's funny, I don't. Uh, I think, for one thing, I mean, there had been a lot of craziness. You know, Bob Ezrin had been sick during the... Uh, as I understand I know Bob for years and years. I know Bob from Canada. In fact, I bought my very first car from Bob. You know, he and I were kind of starting out together. Mm. But Bob had been sick, and there was a lot of craziness, and it wouldn't happen with the elder. And and, and I think, I I don't really know. I should ask Michael that question. And we were still very good friends. I don't really know, but I think he probably wanted someone Michael was very good with sounds, very good with drum sounds. Mm-hmm. I think he wanted some kind of stabilizing element. I don't think they were so concerned with the musical elements because Gene and Paul kinda of had that covered. They yeah. they knew what they wanted, they knew the direction, you know, they weren't looking for a producer given direction. Mm-hmm. They wanted a guy who was good behind the board.
2: So Michael James Jackson wasn't necessarily pushing them in one direction or another. He was more of a of a nod knob twister guy, right?
3: Michael's uh, Michael's a real producer. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, first of all, I mean Kiss just wanted to get back to what they were, what they had done successfully, which was basic hard rock.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: It, it was truly just an accident that Michael a got picked, and I mean he was picked for his own reasons, but, but it was an accident that he called me because they they knew they had to get back to writing good songs, and mm-hmm. Michael believed in me as a songwriter, and that's why I got involved. And to be honest. When Gene came over that first day or two, I just thought it would be, you know, a day or two's work. I never <laughs> dreamed it would be 30 years, believe me. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Not only
3: that, I never dreamed that, you know, we'd be such friends. And, you know, when I mean when Paul and I were still single in the 80s, we went out together every night. We even dated roommates for a long time.
0: Really?
3: really? Oh, yeah, yeah. But we'd go. Paul and I were like, you know, bachelor buddies, if you will. We'd go out every night, you know, go to clubs, go to the comedy club, go to movies or whatever. Mm-hmm. So I never dreamed... You know, from that one little phone call, that one little accidental meeting back in Canada in nineteen, you know, seventy sixty nine, I guess, it was seventy something like that, in the, in, in the floods manager's office, that it would lead to this. But life is like that.
2: Yeah, it's a, it's pretty interesting. And
3: certainly in the music business, it's like that.
2: And now, when you um, started working on this stuff for Creatures, uh, did obviously this was. I guess this was during the time that Ace was on his way out and before Vinny got in?
3: Yeah, I'll get to Vinny in a minute. Um, I never met Ace until many years later, I would say. I never met Ace until at least five or six years later, very briefly over at Gene Siders. Ace was out of the band. Right. Even though I know his face, his name is on the original cover, mm-hmm. Ace had nothing whatsoever to do with Creatures of the Night. Okay. Trust me, I was there for practically every minute of every <laughs> song that was recorded in mine or 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 otherwise, but certainly I was here all the time for mine. Right. Where other people played on creatures, uh I played on creatures like the Rift. Mm-hmm. That's me playing my Blue Charvel. I know Bob played on it, Bob Keeley played on it. They even had who else played on it? A number of guys played on
2: it. Yeah, Steve Ferris played on uh I think he played
3: on Creatures as well. Yeah. Yeah. And um he played the solos, as I recall. So did you get but Ace a, was nowhere around the studio. Ace was out of the band.
2: And were what were Gene and Paul's mindset like at this time? Were they did they seem like they were like kind of confused over what they were going to do as far as the lead guitar spot goes? Or I mean, how did how did they uh, seem to be acting during that period?
3: Yeah, they did. I mean, there, there certainly was no shortage of guitar guitarists, and there was never uh, there was never any panic as far as doing the record because you know Bob's a great guitar player. Mm-hmm. And uh, Steve's obviously a great guitar You know, there's a ton of great guitar players in L.A. But there was never any panic about getting the record done. And the record was a lot of fun, and we'll get to that in a minute. But mm-hmm. uh, what they were most concerned about was getting a new guitar player for the Rhodes. I think by this, but at this time they'd gone through Mark St. Mark St. John. He's gotten sick. His hands had fallen, swollen up or something. But eventually, I was the guy that introduced them to Vinny.
2: Okay, okay. And Vinny showed up at your house when Gene was there. Is that that's correct?
3: But that's yeah, that's yeah. <laughs> yeah that's <another laughs> and, story. Yeah. I had Vinny I I met Vinny through a band called Su and the Next. They were kind of a new wave band. I don't even remember how I met them. But I met Vinny and he was obviously a very good guitar player. Uh not that you'd know it from his solo records which are just way overplayed. But um Vinny said to me, said he played me this Riff. I can't remember quite what it was. But anyway, make a long story bearable. Uh, Vinny and I had written what turned out to be a big hit for John Waits, a song mm-hmm. called Tears.
2: Yeah, it's a good song. Yeah.
3: Thanks. Vinny had come to me with the riff or something, and I came up, I wrote the lyric and, you know, put the demo together in the on in my studio. So I knew Vinny. So Gene and Paul by this time, you know, Gene uh, uh, and Paul and I, we had a very good relationship because we were working on creatures all the time. I kind of by this time felt part of the extended kiss family. And they're, they're looking for, they're starting to think about taking creatures on the road and the tour, and they still don't have a guitar player. And I said, Well, look, I know this guy. As a guitar player, he's perfect. Mm-hmm. He's like Ace, but better.
0: Right.
3: He's like Ace, but there, I'm telling you right now there are going to be personality issues.
2: Oh, so you knew
0: right off.
3: Oh, I knew, absolutely. No, not as much as I knew subsequently, and not, <laughs> as, not as much as we all found out subsequently, but I knew right away that there, was, there were just going to be conflicts.
2: Now, did you get that sense because Vinny had an, had an ego that could match Paul and Jean's?
3: No, it wasn't that at all. What I got that sense because when I found out right away after... See, Vinny had brought me this, whatever fragment of the music that he had brought to me, he said, here's this thing that I wrote, and uh, have a go at it, see if we can spin a song out here. But shortly after that happened, I got a call from Carmine Apiece, mm-hmm. who said... Vinny just brought you something over the, I guess he'd heard the demo, I'd done it already. He said, you know that thing that Vinny brought you over that he said he wrote? I said, yeah. He said, he didn't write it, he said I did. Wow. And subsequently, especially when the song became a a hit, Vinny had to pay him off. Really? And mean, comment, it might have somebody else in some band, but I mean, I didn't have to pay anyone off, but I knew there were going to be, shall we say, issues of one sort or another. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, so so the story is that Gene and I were writing one day, and I guess we'd had this conversation, and I might have mentioned at this point, I don't remember, I might have mentioned to Vinny that kids were looking for a guitar player and whatever, but, or well, I may not, I don't remember, but Gene and I were writing at my, hill, uh, at my house one day, and I lived up in, in the hills above, like up near Mulholland, mm-hmm. and I had a long driveway, and to get to my to where I lived, you know, you had to go up a whole bunch of streets and so on, so Gene and I are writing, and I guess I mentioned to Vinny I was writing. So there's a knock at the door, mm-hmm. and here's Vinny. And he said, oh, I just happened to be in the neighborhood. Well, <laughs> you don't just happen to be in my neighborhood.
0: Yeah.
3: I found out later because Gene told me. I said, well, okay, well, come on and so I in. I him and introduced him to Gene. At, at that moment, Gene happened to be in my kitchen. Gene was in this granola phase at the time, and I like, you know, I, I always ate healthy. So Gene was actually mixing a bowl of granola in my kitchen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I introduced him to Vinny, didn't think any more about it, and went back into my studio. Well, what Gene told me later on was, while I was in the studio, Gene said to Vinny, and this is perfect, I mean, uh, uh, Vinny said to Gene, hey man, you and I should, we, we should write. And mm. Gene, of course, being the generous person, he said, yeah, well, well, you know, Adam's here, we can write, Right, we can do something right now. Right. Vinny said, no, no, I mean just you and me.
0: Oh,
3: <laughs> Vinny.
2: Uh, always a scheme." Oh was this game. Oh wow. So then so then obviously one thing leads to another and he winds up recording with the band. Now Paul and Gene make it out like they were very unsure until the 11th hour that they wanted him in the band and do you recall there being kind of a weird awkward vibe between them throughout the whole recording of the of the
3: album. Well, I to be honest, I don't remember Gene. I I was never there. My recollection that may not may, may be wrong. I don't remember Vinny playing on anything in Creatures. Really? No. I don't. I th- my recollection is it was after Creatures. I may be wrong, he may have played in some tracks, but he didn't play in any tracks when I was there, hmm. because I introduced them and I introduced them. I'm sure, it was certainly after Paul, well, it was definitely after Paul and I had written Creatures.
0: Oh, yeah, I know it yeah.
3: was. Yeah. But it may have been around about that time, but if he played on, on anything on, on Creatures' album at all, it's news to me.
0: Right, right. But
3: was there a weird vibe? Yeah, because it turned out exactly as, uh, as I thought it would. Mm-hmm. They they loved Vinny in fact was the first guy they tried out. And the stories I got it from Paul or Gene, I can't remember which, was they tried out Vinny, they loved his playing but they were not crazy about the personality and they tried out I think it was something like seventy five subsequent guitar players.
0: Wow. Mm-hmm.
3: But Vinny was the perfect Vinny it was ace but better. Mhm. You know, he had the same kind of round tone, that kind of seventies, I mean sixties thing about his playing. Mm-hmm. He was, per- he was the perfect ace guy to replace Ace musically. Mm-hmm. But personality-wise, he never would sign the contract. There were always issues, and eventually... Well, we all know how that turned out. Yeah,
2: yeah, it's a real shame because there was a lot of potential there with that lineup. I thought.
3: You know? uh, yeah, but here, dude, here's what I've learned in this business: personality will defeat talent every <laughs> time. Yeah, yeah. Well,
2: yeah. Somebody can write the next stairway to heaven, but if they're a nightmare to work with, you're not going to want to work with them. So. And
3: especially, and you know, for young guys who are out there, you know, listening to this. Yeah. Especially now, you could back in the '60s. You know, you could be a you know screwed up drug addict. You could get away with a lot because the the, the talent, the business was different back in the 60s. S- society was different. But right now, everybody's got a home studio, and if you screw up, the record company will drop you in a heartbeat and get somebody else to take your shit to take your place. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that as I recall, that's that's the way that went down. I think they tried it with 75 guitar players, and as wow. they went with Vinny and then you know after one thing, the whole thing after lick it up, I think the whole thing was over.
2: But going back to creatures, um, one of the songs that you wrote uh, on the on the album was with Paul was "Danger" and uh, good timing because I just did a we did another episode that we recorded last night where we talked about our top five favorite Paul Stanley Kiss songs. And yeah, mine too. That was one of mine. That was I I love that song, but and and it's a very overlooked tune. I mean, creatures is one that people tend to go to from that album, but danger is really a it's a real. Uh, Barn burner of a tune, and I remember reading a story about Bob Kulik cutting the solo. and It may have been a story from you. It was in the Behind the Mask book about how the solo was. It was great, but then they wanted to speed the track up, and then they wound up modulating his solo up to match the track. Do you recall this?
3: Uh, I don't. I can tell you another story about Danger because uh, about the difference between the demo and the record. I don't. Yeah, I may have known that about about, about the other thing, but. But but here's the story on the tempo of danger. Okay. Oh no, 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 I know what you're referring to. No, it's all coming back. <laughs> <laughs> I know exactly what it is. Oh, okay. Paul and I had written a song, like we wrote all our songs, at, in my house, my studio, my house, and I had used for the track, you know, how it goes dadla da da la dadla. Mm-hmm. It's right up there, that tempo. And I had used a drum machine, one that I had Roger Roger Lynn who invented the drum machine and changed the world. Right. Roger used to play in in my band, and and I had one of his first two drum machines. So, I had used the drum machine to do the drum track when Paul and I had written the song and were recording it. You know, we we recorded the drum track and then we put the guitars and bass on. When we got the drum track to the studio, it's one thing to have a drum machine going da 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 at that tempo, mm-hmm. but it was very hard for Eric. To play cons- or for any drummer, not- and Eric Carr is one of my all-time favorite drummers. Mm-hmm. It's really hard for Eric to play the song at that tempo in the studio, and so they slowed it up a little bit to make it easier for Eric to stay in that groove.
2: Oh, I got you. Okay,
3: slowed it up. Mm-hmm. It lost a little bit of that tremendous energy that our demo have. Now demos are often better than what comes. Our demo for Crazy Nights was better than the better than the record. Mm. That often happens. Yeah. But we, they slowed it up so the tempo would, would suit Eric a little bit better, but then it lost a little bit of the energy, and I think that's when they went to put the solo on. Maybe Bob wanted it faster so he could burn a little bit more. I don't quite remember that, but but mm. I'm almost certain that's where that whole situation started.
0: Oh, okay. Well,
3: because that was always the issue, is the, the difference between trying to translate a demo into an actual record with a real drummer playing.
2: Right, right. And speaking of drummers, I mean, obviously Eric Carr. That's I that I would say that's his signature Kiss album because it, he's he's he is the biggest presence on that record. Now,
3: absolutely. And, now, absolutely. Did, and for the record, my you know you can imagine how many Kiss shows I've. For the record, my, when Eric was alive, my favorite of the Kiss show was Eric's drum solo. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean Eric was tremendous, a very good friend of mine. He died on my birthday. But Eric was just my favorite part of the KISS show. As long as he was alive, Eric's drum solo was always my favorite part of the show.
4: Yeah,
2: yeah. And Now, did Michael James Jackson have a... Was it his idea to get that huge drum sound, or was Eric involved in getting in the idea for that sound?
3: Well, well any drummer always wants his drums to hear.
0: Right. So
3: Eric was involved, but no, it was... You know, and Gene and Paul, they wanted to get it back to being a heavy record. I mean, everyone was committed to making it heavy. And the drum sound...
1: Some very cool stuff, and I think the word he was saying was Eric's drum sounded bigger. I th- that, the, the word bigger kind of got cut out there. but
2: uh, Oh, yeah, it was right around that point. <laughs> I was like, man, we're getting into some really good stuff now. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> well, so there's some
1: amazing stuff there, and it, it's weird to think about how Vinny, again, kind of rears his head, but we're going to hear more of that in part two of this uh, interview.
2: Yeah, yeah, for sure. Hey, the Vinny thing is an interesting it's an interesting chapter in the, well, let's call it the creatures era. So, uh, yeah, the way that Vinny, uh, kind of worked his way into the situation was very, it's an interesting story.
1: So coming up in this next part, we're going to hear about Vinny Vincent, Eric Carr, double dating with Paul, and writing with Gene, and that Gene is a humble guy, but, Enough of our yakking. Let's let's get to part two of our Adam Mitchell interview uh, for the podcast by way of the Decibel Geek. Thanks, Chris.
2: No problem.
4: Odd probabilities in life that I should be working with Kiss. It certainly was one of them.
2: Yeah. <laughs> you didn't exactly come up through the hard rock and
4: and heavy metal. Uh... Well, no. I mean, I like you know. I was I was a big. Uh, from their first record, I was a big ACDC fan. Because, oh, okay. I yeah. mean, they are the best rock and roll band in the world. I know the Rolling Stones think they are, but no, sorry, it's ACDC. Yeah. <laughs> They're the best rock and roll band in the world. So I was, you know, you know, and I played in a rock band. But Kiss, to me, honestly, was like, you know, okay, I've got the tickets. I'll go see the show. I never dreamed in a million years it would do this. In, uh, and when, when uh, I got the call to write with them, I said no. Oh really? I I said no for 2 days. I said no and I thought, well, <laughs> wait a second. These guys are selling 100 million records. And then when I wrote with Gene those first couple of these, honestly, I thought it would just be like 2 days work. I never dreamed it would become, you know, such a honestly significant part of my life.
2: I was going to ask you cuz kiss, you know, to the general public, especially back then before the makeup came off and people knew what they were really like, they were they were considered this wild and dangerous group. Were you taken aback when you met Paul and Gene and realized how no, serious no, they were? No, no,
4: not at all. No. Not at all. Because if Paul and Gene are, I mean, they are kids. I never met, I met Ace a number of years later at Gene's house very briefly. But Paul and Gene are kids. Uh, But they're very sensible guys and Paul and I became, you know, like best friends and, you know, we would date, we even dated roommates at the same time. But Paul and I would go out every night. The thing that I always liked about Paul and Gene was they're, you know, they're just like basically sensible guys who know how lucky they are. Believe me, they know that they just, you know, fell in the right moment. Right. and They have no illusions about that. I mean you know Paul and I we'd, we'd go out every night when we were both single and I remember one night we were sitting at this we uh, were sitting right in, at the at the stoplight right in front of the whiskey and people this guy and his girl were walking by and they saw Paul in the car and they started pointing mm-hmm. that's Paul Stanley <laughs> and he and I he looked, he looked at me and it's like he looked at me and it's like I got to be me You know, he was, he was, he knew, he still felt like that guy that used to drive a taxi cab. And Paul has a great sense of, uh, he knows he's lucky and he knows he's talented, but he's, he knows that he's lucky, you know, that, that he got to do this.
2: You had such a, you've had a close relationship with him over the years, and you know there's only a select few people that have been able to get that close with Paul. Because, and I've always got the impression Paul has he has his public persona, and then he has the ones he is with when he's with his yeah, buddies,
4: as Gene does too. And but with to be honest, as Gene does too.
2: Because I always hear about you know Paul is such a laid back guy with such a great sense of humor, but he can come off so seriously in interviews. I mean, did you so you would notice that duality of, of his personality back in those days?
4: yeah but but here's what I would say is it's not easy to be famous
0: mm-hmm.
4: It's not easy to be famous, and you know you know all of us, if you think about it, all of us just you know you me, everybody else out there we just started you know playing guitar in our bedroom mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. we played guitar because we like to play guitar, and we you know hope we'd someday our friends in you know high school would think we were good and suddenly you find out you are the most famous person in the world. Mm-hmm. That, that's not an easy gig. I mean, you know, Linda Ronstadt and I have been, have been close for so long. I went through this with Linda in so many ways. It is not easy. In fact, it's, I guess you would say in some ways, it's a curse mm-hmm. to be mm-hmm. famous. Not that, you know, I, I went up to... Uh, at Christmas, I went up and I spent uh, Christmas with Linda Ross. you know. So here's Linda, who was once the biggest star in the world, mm-hmm. and deserved to be. And all we talked about was kids. You know, she's she's so she was she's godmother to my daughter, and you know, we just talked about kids. You know, <laughs> because the rest of it is just silly. Yeah, I hear <laughs> you, you know. know. <laughs> I mean, it is. Everything else is so irrelevant. Yeah, yeah. So to to, uh, to watching these kids go to school this morning, you know, it just really, it uh, really, uh, <laughs> it kind of puts me in my place and reminds me, you ain't that important. Oh yeah, yeah. It's it was say, don't
2: sweat the small stuff, and it's all small stuff, you know. <laughs> <laughs> it's
4: all small stuff, except for your kids. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. A big...
2: That's a big thing, but yeah, and so, anything business wise, you can you can usually take with a grain of salt.
4: Paul handles it as well, and Gene handles. I mean, no, Gene is. You know, everybody thinks like, like the like the public Gene is the god of thunder, right? Oh, of <laughs> like one, like yeah. one one day Gene came over to, when Lee and I were first married, Gene came over to our house and I said, Leah, the god of thunder is in the room. <laughs> That's Gene's public persona. But Gene, the private Gene, I mean the personal Gene, he's just, you know, he's just a basic good guy, dad, you know. Mm-hmm. And Paul's the same way. Paul, the, the most I can guarantee you, the most important thing to Paul is being dead. <laughs> That's absolutely far and away everything else. They just happen to have been and kiss and believe me, they are grateful.
2: Yeah, well, they, they they seem to appreciate everything that got them where they are.
4: They are totally grateful, and you know, in a way, it's why. Um, I mean, if if the entity of KISS, they connect with their fans,
0: mm-hmm. you know,
4: they connect with their fans, and they connect with their fans, I suppose, ultimately, at the bottom line of, you know what, we're just, like, blue-collar guys like you. That's why they connect. Right. I, right. I, I mean, I, I believe, ultimately, yes, they're a great band, but, you know, Paul's just, you know, he's, he's in the crowd. Right. He stole that guy in the crowd, you know, who loves... You know his heroes are Led Zeppelin and Bob Dylan, and uh, mm-hmm. like mine,
2: and sort of like Gene with Jeff Beck and, and, and yeah, hey,
4: okay, okay, exactly. Well, well, Gene will tell you. You know, I, I mean, the the thing that I love about Gene is like Gene. Everybody thinks he is the biggest ego in the world. Mm-hmm. Gene is the most. He, Gene is the the least egotistical person I ever met because Gene and I will sit there and talk about Bob Dylan like we're just like two guys in the front row. You
2: know, right they they still remain the fans of, of what
4: got them. oh no they're totally the fans they're totally the fans they have no illusions whatsoever i mean that's gene's great gift he is gene has no illusions
2: well, that's one quote of his that I always loved was when somebody, I guess when the reunion tour hype was really going on and you had people asking him, you know, do you guys are breaking records that the Beatles set at such and such arena? And Gene was like, well, hold it right there. We're not fit to shine the Beatles' shoes. So he's like, he would stop the interviewer immediately. and yeah, say, Exactly. Yeah. And,
4: and, and he would say, honest to God, he would say that with all humility. Sure. We yeah. are not... We, Look, they're a great gift. <laughs> this is a band, which you know you have. To, if you go to Kiss concert today, there are twelve year olds in the audience. Right. Gene and Paul understand the fun of rock and roll. They have, they understand it's just like God. We got to do this, but we're just like you. <laughs> we're just like like you guys in the audience. This is just we just had to get up here on stage exactly <laughs> gene has complete humility one of i mean i have many stories i could tell you about gene i've seen his humility in action he's a thoroughly decent guy and paul is a thoroughly decent guy and when people ask me you know look so you've been you know dealing with you know these gods of thunder <laughs> what are they like <laughs> well they're just like you know you and me right
2: well, that's hard just for them. hard for those of us as fans to grasp that at times i think
4: Well, it is, because when they're up there, you know, it's like, you know, if you saw that last tour, for example, you know, in that last tour, when Gene goes up on that that elevator thing and he goes up like 80 feet high, Mm -hmm. Gene is scared to death of heights. (laughs)
2: Yeah, that's a funny irony.
4: I I know it's (laughs) okay. We've talked about this. He's scared to death of heights. So I said to Paul after the show, I said, what is he doing up on that elevator? I know he gets nauseous if he's four feet above the ground. He said, Gene will do anything if people will watch him do it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's true. But it's, you know, much to Gene's credit because, you know what, Gene and certainly Paul, we're just fans, you know, we're just fans of rock and roll.
2: Well, and it's an interesting uh, time to talk with you because uh, especially with what happened over the last couple of days with the announcement that they're going to tour with Motley Crue and that you know we're 30 years on from the creatures of the night tour that they did a few dates with Motley Crue and you know so <laughs> well,
4: you know what Motley Crue are truly a great band mm-hmm. <laughs> i mean they really are but I would not want to be opening up uh, for kids. I wouldn't want to follow kids. No,
2: yeah, I, I agree with that completely. I mean, it, it, it's an interesting combination, and it's just, it, I was I saw that, you know, we had we did our initial talk a few days ago, and then I saw this announcement, and I was like, wow, this is amazing that I'm going to talk to Adam Mitchell about creatures. Um, yeah.
4: You know what, dude, I'll tell you what, the thing that broke my heart, you know, Eric Carr died on my birthday, right? Yeah, yeah. And... Bruce Kook and I were talking last night, and you know Eric is still very much with us mm-hmm. in some way, and my favorite part of every kiss show was Eric's drum soul because Eric was just like I mean the reason that Eric was the best kiss drummer ever was Eric was just you know a basically blue collar guy in a band mm-hmm. and Gene will probably argue about this. <laughs> the public gene will argue. About this. But Gene and Paul are basically, you know, they're just guys from Queens, you know, that we just happen to get in the band. And my 30 years with with them, my favorite part was always like singing background on the records. Mm-hmm. I sang a lot of background. You know, we just, we just thought, fuck, <laughs> we're getting to make rock and roll. We're stupid. <laughs> Gene used to say, all the time, Gene used to say, we're stupid. <laughs> well, we were stupid, you know. It beats a nine to
2: five though right
4: yeah, it beats a nine to five but believe me honestly they have I just talked to Paul about this Hal and I believe me they're grateful mm-hmm. they never lost, and I think that's really uh, you know over these 30 or forty years what has kept them connected to their fans they never lost they certainly never lost their sense of gratitude mm-hmm. they just they are well aware to this day they're well aware they're you know they just you know guys. Who got in a band and like played music that the guys in the audience liked? You know, they they never lost that that sense. I think, in some ways, of being a club mm-hmm. and just you know just playing music, right?
2: And well, and you you hooked up with them at a at a really big crossroads of the career with them coming off the Elder and then wanting to huh. sw- wanting to switch back to the Hard Rock. Had you heard the Elder before you uh, well, met no, up with? No,
4: uh, I mean you know the Irony. The irony of The Elder was, you know, it had been produced by Bob Ezrin. Bob was a really good friend of mine from Canada. Mm-hmm. Bob and I have known each other since we were 18. But The Elder was a disaster. And Paul told me, I wrote for a couple of days with Gene, first of all. Uh, we, wrote a, <laughs> we wrote a couple of really. Gene wanted to be stealing them all of a sudden. <laughs> wow. So we wrote a couple of really, like, one song was called Crumb Goes Into Motion." <laughs> if you can imagine. Oh wow! But anyway, Paul and I hooked up, and Paul told me already. He said, "You know, we we blew it mm-hmm. with the elder. He we blew it, and they wanted to get back to just you know just writing basic good rock and roll songs. And it, it, honestly, it's just like an accident that my friend Michael Jackson that I met through producing his band in Canada, uh, Flood." Mm-hmm. Uh, I just happened to meet Michael, and Michael just happened to introduce me to Kiss, and, you know, just one of those accidents of life, you know. Mm. And uh, honestly, I thought it was going to be two days. Never dreamed that that it would really become a significant part of my life. Right.
2: And what was the first song you wrote with one of the... With one, what was the first Creature song that you, you worked with? Uh,
4: well, Paul and I had written uh, on... He put out this European album, Kiss Killers. Mm-hmm. I think. Um, Paul and I had written a couple of songs for Kiss Killers, this European thing with the dreadful cover. <laughs> but I think if the very first song that we wrote was actually creatures. I think we ended up writing what three or four songs in that record.
2: And did you did he do you think he he felt that he had touched on a song that was going to kick off the album when you guys put that one together?
4: No, no, no. We know it's I mean, it's still my favorite Kiss record, Mm -hmm. but no, we were just, you know, we're just two guys sitting in the room writing a song, right? (laughs) and uh, I mean, I I ended up writing, I think, nine or ten songs with Paul Mm -hmm. over Kiss records, but, you know, we're basically, we're just guys sitting in the room writing a song. And on Creatures, the, the one thing, we would always do the demos like Creatures and Danger. We always did the demos in my studio at my house. And on Creatures, I ended up playing that, that riff on the record because I would played it on the demo. And we. I said, no, no, I can't play this on the record. And we got everybody in there. We got all the world's <laughs> best guitar players in there trying to play this on the record. And... uh they couldn't. They couldn't. You know, because I'd come up with the riff in the first place. They couldn't quite grasp it. So I ended up playing it on the record. But no, Gene and Paul are just. You know, they're just like. You know, they're. They know they're lucky. They love their fans. I got to say that they really love their fans, and they know that this is what we do, and it's our job. Mm-hmm.
2: So, Creatures would be your favorite track. Can you describe a little bit about the process that went into putting Danger together?
4: Well, the, the thing with Danger is, you know, Eric was was still the drummer in the band at that point. And Paul and I had done this demo in my studio with the drum machine. And it's, you know, it's really high tempo, you know, it's da 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 it's really high tempo. Mm-hmm. And Eric said to me, "And I'm supposed to play this." <laughs> You're trying
2: to kill me. <laughs>
4: <laughs> about to kill me. Yeah. Uh. Oh, yeah. No. That was a whole. That was a whole another conversation. Uh, uh, Eric was. Oh my God. You know, there's hardly a day goes by that I don't think about him. Eric was so. He was a great drummer, and he had such. Eric's Eric has such a sense of humor like when when shit you know any record you're doing you you get in there and stuff starts to get difficult and you you think how we're going to figure this out Eric always had you know the joke Mm -hmm. and uh he was such a great guy but yeah but Danger he said how am I supposed to play this (laughs) so uh I don't know. You know, it's 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 day to day, and it's all a mystery. You know, and do I think I'm the luckiest guy in the world? Yeah, you bet.
2: <laughs> I have to imagine that Eric must have had like a permanent grin on his face uh, with the drum sound that was coming out of the the monitors during the making of that. Well,
4: <laughs> well fuck. I mean, think about it. I mean, huge. <laughs> the word huge. Yeah, it comes was to my look huge? Absolutely huge. Yeah, he was. Eric was happy. I'll tell you the one time he was happy. We, we'd been recording uh, three or four of the songs and creatures we recorded in uh, New York.
0: Mm-hmm.
4: And uh, we just happened to be recording in a studio. And there was a back room where they used to stack the equipment. So on Keep Me Coming or some of those other songs and creatures, Eric said, let's put my drums in here. And it was just like this big, you know, boomy equipment room. And we put his drums in there, and that's where the drum sound is on Keep Me Coming. It's huge. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and Eric, <laughs> Eric had this smile on his face. It was huge. <laughs>
2: his John Bonham dream had come true. <laughs>
4: gone, of course. It was, you know, because, you know, Bonham was our eric's idol and god knows mind. oh he was amazing I, I found him get the drum sound because they just stuck it and you know they stuck his his drum set in a room in some you know this this place they were renting in wales <laughs> <laughs> you know it's rock and roll
0: oh wow
2: and what where uh what studio in new york were those tracks cut at
4: uh, i don't remember the name of it you know it's probably not even there anymore but uh, yeah it was on Fifty Seventh Street. I remember it was just right around. I was staying at the Mondrian and It was right around the street. It was on Fifty Seventh Street, but it's probably long gone. But um, three or I think when your walls come, we cut when your walls come down, and we cut. Uh, Keep me coming. We cut at least those two tracks there.
3: Hi, this is Lydia Chris, and you're listening to the podcast.
4: Somewhere, someone is needing to hear from you. Someone needing to know that you care. Care enough to give the gift of Podkist. Tell a friend about Podkist today. Download us on iTunes. Friend us on Facebook. And rock your ass out. Podkist.
2: And most of Creatures was already cut when Vinny comes into the picture. Is that right?
4: Yeah, uh, to be honest, uh, I don't remember... I mean, I never saw Vinny. Vinny was not in the picture as far as Screeches was concerned. If he was, I was not there that day.
2: And you're kind of responsible for bringing him into the group, or introducing him to the group, I should say.
4: Yeah, yeah I
2: guess I you know. am. <laughs> you don't sound so excited about that.
4: Well, <laughs> you know, I mean, here's the thing about Vinny. I mean, Vinny and I had written, I met him through, uh, through. Uh, I guess we covered this before, but I met Vinny through a, uh, a kind of 80s group that i have been intri- introduced to called Sue Sad and the Next. Mm. And Vinnie and I wrote this song, uh, Tears, that was a big hit for John White.
2: And P- Peter Chris cut that also.
4: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's a whole nother story. Oh, okay. <laughs> but, but apparently he did. Yeah. But, uh, but Vinnie, I knew... I knew Vinnie was a great guitar player. When Kiss were looking for a new guitar player, Mark Jordan had lost the use of his hands. I mean, uh, what's his name? St. John. Mark St. John, right. He lost the use of his hands and uh, they were looking for a new guitar player and I knew Vinny was a great guitar player, which is really Vinny's tragedy. I mean, honest to God, you sit down with this guy, he can play
2: anything. He has the
4: whole gift. Right. I remember he he said uh, one day we were just sitting there writing it. And he just started playing White Christmas
0: mm-hmm.
4: on guitar, and it was so beautiful. I mean, this guy has a guitar gift, but I knew there were personality issues. Mm-hmm. And when kids were looking for a guitar player, I, I told Gene, I know the guy who's like Ace, but better, but you're not going to get along with him. Mm hmm. And so it turned out to be. Right.
2: Well, I always got the impression that Gene felt a little bit more close to him than Paul. It seemed like Paul and him always had tension.
4: No, Gene felt... No, the only reason... I mean, I can't speak for either one of them, but Gene is good at getting along with people. Okay. I mean, honestly, Gene's great gift is he'll take what is good in someone, Mm -hmm. and he'll go with that.
0: Hmm.
4: And he will... Accommodate the rest. Right. I've only heard Gene get mad. I've only heard Gene twice ever get pissed off Hmm. about someone. Because Gene is like he's so got it together, I've only heard him twice get pissed off and once was about Vinny. (laughs) Really?
2: Yeah. Was this when they were touring together?
4: Yeah. yeah, I mean, I won't get into the details. Okay. But okay. It, it takes. Let me just put it this way: it takes a lot to get Gene pissed off, and Vinny did it. <laughs> Vinny did it. Yeah. Wow. I, 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 in other words, I've only heard Gene lose it twice. Uh-huh. Twice. Mm. Once was about Vinny.
2: That's that's a pretty controlled personality to be able to. Oh no, no, Gene's very controlled.
4: Yeah, yeah. But but yeah, but once was about Vinny. So yes, I did. You know, I was the guy who bears the guilt. But...
2: <laughs> Well, I have to tell you though, as a fan, I'm glad you did. I mean, I know there was a lot of conf- conflict there, but we we did wind up with some great kiss songs. I mean, I love the I loved his songwriting prowess,
0: but uh... I,
4: don't, I mean honestly I would say I mean Vinny is is, is extraordinarily talented. Mm-hmm. But what I've learned over the years and certainly, you know, like when Vinny and I wrote this song for John Waits John Wade is probably the best natural singer I've ever heard. Phenomenal singer. But what I've learned over the years is personality will defeat talent. Right. We are look, none of us are in this business because we were stable to begin with. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? <I> mean, <laughs> you have to have a
2: little bit a little bit of a screw loose, right?
4: You have to have a screw loose. You know, you have to want people like you because your parents didn't, or, you know, whatever.
2: At least that's the most unnatural thing in the world to want to go up on stage in front of a lot of people and say, look at (laughs) me. (laughs) (laughs) Now
4: that I think about it, probably. Excuse me, why was I doing this again? Yeah. (laughs) But Vinny was... I mean, you know, God knows, you know...
2: No. He's
4: he's had his issues, but... um,
2: and you well, you used to live here in Nashville. Did you ever come across him at the time you were here?
4: Well, you know, funnily enough, I didn't. Like, I'm still in touch very much with my with my uh, my publisher from Pure Music, Rod Park, and Rod and I are still good friends. Rod's a racing fan, and you know, we talk all the time.
0: Mm-hmm.
4: And Vinny, and I used to be in my room, my office that they gave me there, there at Pure. I used to be there every day, but Vinny would come. And Rod would tell me, you know, he'd come downstairs afterwards, and he'd say, you know, Vinny was just here. He's wearing a dress. <laughs> oh, wow. Oh, yeah. yeah that's all yeah. I was yeah. oh. But, no, I never did... I can't believe I actually never did run into him, but, no, I never did in Nashville.
2: Well, I mean, he is Dave's basically a recluse, from what I've heard. And, I mean, he's actually about uh, ten minutes away from where I live.
4: I know. I, you know, I mean, it's like the tragedy of I mean, he's such a good guitar player. Mm-hmm. He's such a good guitar player. I mean, Vinny is so... It's not just that he has the chops. He's such a comprehensive guitar player. I mean, he Vinny, like I said, he'll play White Christmas and make you cry. Mm-hmm. But personality will defeat talent. And ultimately... He never would sign his contract with Kiss. That was the ongoing issue. They were still on tour. They'd be in, on you know, Australia or somewhere.
1: Mm-hmm. Vinnie would
4: never sign his contract. He was always complaining. And as I, I think I told you, you know, right from the second that I introduced him to Gene, he was trying to cut me out of the mix.
2: Mm. Yeah. Mm. There was always a motive, it seemed.
4: Yeah. Well, you know, I'm. You know, God knows that I'm not in a position to judge anybody. But it's a tragedy because as a guitar player, fuck, Vinnie was, <laughs> Vinnie was, Vinnie is a really, Vinnie is a player, yeah. I put it that way. I'm not a player, you know, I just play at guitar, <laughs> I just play well enough to write songs. Vinnie a player. Yeah. Vinnie can break your heart.
2: Yeah, I, I have a I I still have a, a I guess a fan's blind hope that one of these days he'll do something musical again but it probably won't happen. It's not going to happen. Well, you know,
4: here's the thing. You know Mark Slaughter and I are really good friends. Oh, really? And Mark yeah, Mark is such a talented guy. And of course, you know when when Vinny was in the band, Mark and I have like a thousand Vinny stories. I'm sure. Here, here you have Mark, who is like Mark is so talented. He's such a good guy. He's just like Mark is like to me the perfect rock and roller Mm -hmm. because he has supreme talent and somehow manages to be like a decent guy. Mm
0: -hmm.
4: He's always great with fans. You know, he's like he's like you know my my idol in a way. In that he's just he just has it all together. But if you talk to Mark, the only thing that will get Mark unglued is Vinny. <laughs> I mean, it's the same thing. Anyway, I mean, Mark is such a, such a great guy and such, you know, he's so decent. But, but uh, bring up the subject of Vinny and Mark will lose it.
2: Yeah, I've sent uh, a number of requests uh, for interviews with him because he's local here and I could, come, I could go to him, but I, yeah, I, I he never hear back. I yeah. think he wants to skirt the issue of all the Vinny stuff.
4: I mean, there are two, they're basically. Guitar player wise, there are two Vinnies. If you listen to that first Vinnie Vincent Invasion record, Vinnie was so, I don't know, you know, desperate. Like, it's all like,
0: you
4: know, it's like way so overplaying. Mm -hmm. But the Vinnie, the guitar player that I knew, did not play like that at all. All right. Yeah. Vinnie was, I mean, as odd a guy as he is. On guitar, the, the Vinny that I knew, and I can only speak from my personal experience, the Vinny that I knew was taste personified.
0: Mm-hmm.
4: He had such great taste as a guitar player. I mean, he would just never overplay. And then when the when the Benny Vincent Invasion came out, it was like, "Who is this? You're, you know, you're trying too hard here."
2: Yeah, because that see that that runs a little counter to what a lot of fans think. With his work with Kiss, because a lot of people think that Paul and Gene were the ones who had to rein him in, or do you think it was a new development for him to want to do that over the time?
4: No, 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 no. Paul and Gene were the ones who reigned him.
2: Oh, they are? Okay.
4: Oh, no, 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 no. Paul and Gene totally get all the credit. I mean, if you listen to Vinny on those Kiss records, he sounds like Ace, but better. Mm -hmm. (laughs) He Mm -hmm. sounds like Ace, but sober.
2: And yeah, he had that modern shredder sound that was so big at the time, too.
4: Yeah, but no, no, but, but all credit to Paul and Gene, of course, you know, the, the, we're making a Kiss record here, mm-hmm. and we're not making a Benny record here, <laughs> and, and Paul and Gene, Paul and Gene just always have been smart enough to know that they, just by accident, created this brand, which you must respect.
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, I, it's still going this many years later.
4: <laughs> I mean, seriously. it's <laughs> like, Trust me, they are grateful. As yeah. I said, they're grateful. But they no, of course they reined, they, they Vinny in. But when you listen to the to the uh, the invasion record, um, Vinnie is a way better guitar player than that.
0: Mm-hmm.
4: Vinny is Vinnie is a natural, I would say, on guitar. He's a natural. He's he's a phenomenal guitar player. But personality, you know, one way or the other, mm-hmm. will uh, will uh, you know interrupt right. our playing.
2: Mm-hmm. Well. Getting back to Creatures, the, I'm guessing you you hung around in the studio quite a bit during the time that they were making the record yeah. from start to finish, correct? Yeah, 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 yeah. and I was it for most of
4: the time? sure.
2: And how did you feel personally when you heard like the final mixes of the album? I mean, were you pretty stoked about it?
4: Um, I don't know. You know, it was just, I was, I think by that point, uh, I was, you know, if you're right with Kiss, or certainly in my case, and I can only speak for my case, I just became part of the family, you know,
0: mm-hmm.
4: and because Paul and I were both single at the time and we were going out, you know, either he and I would go out every night or we would, we, we dated roommates at one point. Um, I liked, I liked attraction creatures. What I especially liked was the drum sound.
0: Mm-hmm.
4: I think Michael Jackson who produced the record and, and our engineer, the, the drum sound to me was like, even though I'd only been, like, peripherally attached peripherally attached to Kiss before, I, it just sounded like a rock record to me. Right. But it's hard for me to separate the personal part of that experience from the professional part of that experience. What I remember was, you know, Gene and Paul, they they were, you know, after the experience with, with, uh, with Bob Aswin, they yeah. actually were afraid that it was over. Mm-hmm. Uh, they truly were. They were. They really were. They were afraid it was over. And Creatures was kind of like they're. They were trying to get their, you know, their fingernails back on the cliff. Right.
2: Do you think they had a feeling that they had a hit record on their hands, or do you think it was like let's no, just let's no, just hope no, this does never, well? They never
4: think that. No. They were always no. They never think that. Okay. Um, they knew they had their their core fan base, mm-hmm. and it's like for example when Paul and I wrote uh, Crazy Crazy Nights it was a huge hit worldwide but not a hit here in America right Mm -hmm. Kiss and I suppose if you ask Paul I'm sure he would tell you Kiss think of themselves and Gene thinks of them they you know they're a working band Mm -hmm. they're just a working band you know that's how they think of themselves and they just you know last July uh, I uh they, they played in dallas and paul and i were talking afterwards he said you know he said he said i love this he said you know i really he said i love our fans they're just they're work they're a working band who just are grateful for the position that they're in and they're that they're getting to do this right
2: well and at, at back at that point in 82 83 they uh I mean they were they were almost at they were pretty much at a low after the elder thing and it, it's kind yeah. of it's kind of amazing just to consider how they clawed their way back from that because it would have it would have killed <laughs> oh. so many bands
4: Well, it is if you think about it you know I mean in 71 77 78 they were like the biggest band in the world oh yeah yeah and uh yeah it's amazing but honestly if I had to uh, if, if somebody asked me the secret of Kiss secret of Kiss is they're just guys up there, you know, who just love their fans. And, uh, you know, it's like I said, when Paul said to me, you know, Gene will do anything if somebody will watch him do it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, that's basically Kiss, you know. Right. They are they are a rock and roll band. Mm-hmm. They're guys, you know, when I was playing in the poppers in the 60s, Gene and Paul I mean, Paul was kind of like a fan because, you know, they would come to see us play at the Fillmore East, you know. We just do this because I guess we couldn't figure out anything else <laughs> better to do. We just play guitar, you know. Right. And, uh, you know, Linda Ronstadt uh, and I have been so close for so many years. She was asked to do one of these American Masters series on uh, PBS. And she's told them no twice because she doesn't think that she belongs in the same class as her heroes. Right. Already on there. Well, Paul would tell you the same thing. If you interviewed Paul, he'd tell you, Bob Dylan's my hero. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I could. Well, And I think that, that, you know, that's... uh, That humility, in a way, I think humility is really a big, you know, Gene can go up there on his show and it's, you know, (laughs) Gene and Shannon. The reason Gene can pull it off is that Gene's basically a pretty humble guy. Mm -hmm. He's just, you know, he's just a guy, you know, who's like laughing that he got to be God of Thunder.
2: So it's it's interesting hearing you say that because it's it, it's so different from what he projects in in the media, you know, because <laughs> it's it's always Gene bigger, better, everything Simmons and yes, it,
4: yes but he, honest to God he's laughing.
2: Yeah, well, all the way to the bank, <laughs> but I mean it's the
4: way to the bank. But honest to God, Gene is well. Here's my perfect Gene story. Mm-hmm. Gene and I were were. Uh, we're producing this Japanese band called Izio. I remember those guys, yeah. Right. Great band. We did a great record. But we were sitting over at, at his old house that used to be on that property before he built the Look at Me house. <laughs> <laughs> his old house that he, burnt, that he bought from Irv Azov, who was Eagle's manager. And we were sitting there writing. And somewhere in the second verse, we started to argue about a line. So, Shannon and my daughter, who was 15 at the time, were in the kitchen. So, here's Gene. This is the perfect Gene moment. (laughs) Gene and I are arguing about this line. I want it my way. He wants it his way. So, he calls in Shannon and Kirsten, and he says, which of these lines do you like? Well, as it turns out, they picked my line, both of them. (laughs) That was it. That line was in the song. There was no ego There was no drama. Well, that's good. Is about what works. Gene is a, trust me, thoroughly. Now, Gene and I disagree about practically everything, especially women. (laughs) We disagree about everything. But Gene, I tell you, is a thoroughly decent guy. He's just a dad, you know? Like when he was, when, when, uh, when Shannon was pregnant for the first time, he was like, "Oh my God, I don't know how to be. It's, it's it's relaxed. You're gonna love it." Mm-hmm. Gene is just—he's just like a dad, you know.
2: Mm-hmm. Well. Overall, let me just get before I let you go. Let me just get your impressions. If you, in hindsight, you look back thirty years and you see this record, and it it wasn't a huge hit at the time, but it, it has endured as far as the fans go. And there's so many. There's a lot of us, me included, that thinks it's up there in the top things they ever did. Yeah, it is. Yeah, absolutely. So you feel the I mean, same I,
4: way. I look at it. No, it wasn't that big a deal at it. It wasn't that big a deal at the time, but. When I listen to it, I hear those drums, especially. Mm-hmm. Um, it really is a great rock and roll record. It really is. I mean, that right from the intro with those with Eric Spill right from the beginning. It's a great record. It really is. Yeah.
2: And uh, do you recall? Um, I heard some stories about Jimmy Hayslip who used to play with uh, Bruce and Blackjack playing some bass tracks on the album. Do You remember him being around? Uh,
4: yeah. If he did, I wasn't. I wasn't there for that. Oh, okay. Okay.
2: But yeah, I was, uh, and are you you still in contact with Michael James Jackson?
4: Oh yeah, no, Michael and I are really good friends. Yeah, we talk every day. Yeah. Oh, you
2: okay? I would love to possibly get him on for this special if you have any contact info for him. Oh, I know I'll send
4: you uh, when we get off. I'll send you his email.
2: Oh, that would be great because he's, he's.
4: No, he'll do. Michael's a very good guy.
2: Oh, wonderful! It's just he's hard to track down on the internet, so that would that would help me yeah. great, great No, I'll deal. send you his email. Oh, wonderful! Well, Adam, I really appreciate you coming on and doing this for us. I know you're in the middle of a really rough week, so I I really appreciate it.
4: Yeah, I am. Uh, no problem. It's uh, you know never thought. That one day that Gene and I sat down, I never thought this would turn out to be, you know, 30-plus <laughs> years, but, you know, life is odd. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Happy accidents, right?
4: Yeah. So, anyway, right, I'll send you Michael's uh, email here in a sec. All
2: right. Thank you so much. Uh, okay. Don't. Have Bye. a good
4: one. Bye.
1: Well, that was one heck of an interview. Definitely one of the best ones we've had. I really enjoyed it, and I've loved having you in the co-host chair with us. So, are you seeing the band this this summer?
2: I'm hoping to. I'm. Um, yeah, it's you know, it's a matter of finances for me at the at this point, but um, I'm hoping to see. And, 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 and
1: this is, of course, after you've bought what one or two copies of the book.
2: Oh yeah, yeah, the, yeah. The, the, the book. Yeah, because I'm so. Yeah, as, you as know every- how
1: there's like the tour. Yeah, the Monster book is the book and uh, the, the Monster magazine should have been the magazine. So Yeah,
2: and we all know I'm a big fan of the book.
1: <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, you know, for for those that are buying that book, uh God bless you. I hope you enjoy it and I think it's a it's definitely an attention getter and I think that's really the whole point behind it, don't you, Chris?
2: It definitely got attention. I'm not sure that it was positive, but it got attention. <laughs> so.
1: But, you know, to the people that want to buy it, it's going to be awesome. And who knows, we might see that book in a smaller form. But my complaint, you know, even before the prices, what am I going to do with something that big? I mean, you know, I don't live in palatial Wayne Manor or whatever. You know what I'm saying?
2: Well, I guess you have to buy a special Kiss house to put the book in.
1: So it would be, the you'd need a room for the book, so it would be the room Yeah. and the, the house, you know. <laughs> All kidding aside, if you get the the book, if you get the monster book, God bless you. Let us know what you think about it. See you on the message boards or on the KISS uh, Facebook page, or uh, PodKISS Facebook page, which uh, continues to grow, and we hope to see you join.
2: You know, I appreciate... You know, getting to come on here. And as I said before, this is a kind of my gift to the show because it helped get me into podcasting. And I like to consider podcast and Deathful we'll Gate kind of brothers from a different mother, you know. So it's, uh, it's always fun to do stuff with you guys. And for anyone who hasn't checked us out yet, please go to dbgeekshow.blogspot.com. And hopefully Ken will be cool and put a link on the website.
1: Uh, we are very magnanimous, which is a big word like I've used that joke already. Um, <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we look forward to an exciting summer, and uh, let us know what's going on with you and your Kiss summer. And uh, we'll see you on the next podcast or Decibel Geek show. And of course, check out V3 with Chris Sinzak on the Decibel Geek Radio Network. It just awesome. it just sounds natural.
2: <laughs> we'll have to start that one.
1: Right. All right. Well, we'll see. you.
2: And that is our show. Thanks again for listening. Be sure to check us out on the web at www.podkist.com
1: You can also find us on Facebook and on iTunes. If you'd like to contact the podcast, please drop us a line at podcast at gmail.com. Big thanks
2: to Julian and everyone at KissFAQ.com. They've got great information there and a
1: terrific message board too. Thanks also to Keith LaRue and everyone else at kiss online for their great work representing the hottest band in the land. And as always, a big thanks to Paul Stanley, Gene Simmons, Ace Fraley, Peter Criss, Vinnie Vincent, Bruce Kulik, Eric Singer, Tommy Thayer, and the memory of the late, great Eric Carr, and the late, great Mark St. John. You are KISS, and we are your army. Podcast is
2: created
0: by the KISS Army for the KISS Army, and it is available for free as an internet download. If you like what you hear on our show, go buy it and support the people who made it. Podcast is not affiliated with Kiss or any of its members, past or present. On behalf of myself, Ken, and the whole rest of the Podcast crew, thank you for listening to Podcast, the Kiss fanzine for your ears.
1: Anyway, uh, but all serious aside, I, or all take fifty nine.